Hello, I'm Melanie and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. Today I'm joined by Gabriel, Felix, Victor and Leon to discuss recruitment challenges in gaming. Before we get into the topic at hand, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Leon, if you'd like to kick us off. Hello everyone, uh, my name's Leon. Leon Lochran, I'm Talent Acquisition at Liquid Swords. I've been here now for about 12 months. My background is in 2014, I graduated and the one thing I knew was that I wouldn't use my degree in biological sciences. Instead, I just decided to get a job and I landed in uh, the Ombudsman, which I know now is a Swedish word and that was uh, in complaints effectively. And somebody said to me, hey, six months in, you're pretty good at this. Have you considered recruitment and sales? And I didn't know what recruitment was. Fast forward two weeks and I got a job in recruitment, my first and uh, after a couple of years in that, I managed to get headhunted by a video games agency uh, and loved it, of course. Mind was blown. Of course, people make video games. So yeah, that's how I started my career in video games. And now that was about six to seven years ago. And here I am eternal at Liquid Swords for a studio based in Stockholm, making our first IP. Nice. Victor? Uh, right. So my name is Victor Maisy. Uh, I've been... 10 to 11 years in finance and now I'm making the dreams uh, likewise Leon in in the gaming industry he had a friend uh, started up a small esports startup uh, three years ago as a garage project and uh, super happy to be able to employ myself and for other superstars uh, with the project today we'll be talking more about platform all that good stuff so that's it nice uh, Felix. A little about everyone. Uh, my name is Felix. I'm the, I'm the art director at uh, Arrowhead uh, in Stockholm. I've um, been there for now eight years, roughly, uh, and uh, ended up in the gaming industry sort of by chance. Uh, studied art, had a, an art teacher who uh, actually was um, uh, like he he held a course at a school called Future Games, and then he. Like, yeah, text me and said, this could be something for you. So, it, yeah, by chance, I found out about gaming. And uh, here I am today, loving it. Nice. Last but not least, Gabriel. Yes, hello, everyone. My name is Gabriel Eriksson Salin, and I'm an openly queer transgender man, and I'm the talent acquisition and diversity manager at the world's first LGBTQI-certified games company, Kinda Brave, a game publisher in Uppsala, Sweden. Uh, I have a bachelor's degree in HR and I'm a lecturer at universities and companies around Europe within LGBTQI+, sociology and behaviour and organisational culture. I got into the games industry by finding my boss on LinkedIn. It said that, oh, someone from your university works here. And I was like, who? This is a tiny university up in the north. Happened to be my boss. She found me and she said, hi, we, we got a run. Are you interested? And now here I am. Um, getting more people into the games industry and showing the games truly are for everyone. Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. 
if you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, cool. So now that we know uh, who you guys are, let's move on to the topic at hand. So you all have a question on recruitment challenges in gaming. As usual, uh, we work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's start with Gabriel and your question. Yes. So my question is, as you might know, as I said, I'm a diversity manager, which means it's a little bit about diversity. So my question is, how do you work to increase the diversity in your candidate base and make your ads and recruitment process as inclusive and accessibility friendly as possible? So the reason why I decided on this question is that a lot of people don't think about how minorities might interact with recruitment and what might be necessary to make sure that they are comfortable to get into the games industry. Because as we might know, the games industry look in a certain way currently and maybe if you are looking for a senior programmer and you wonder where are all the women where are all the non-binary people you might not find a lot of them and that is because a lot do not get the chance to get in so how do we make sure that everyone has the possibility and become more inclusive to be able to get into the games industry and uh, since we went around the room and, uh, before when we were doing the presentations, I'm going to go straight into the middle there and ask Victor. I'd like to hear your answer to this question. Thank you very much, Gabriel. Uh, and just to bring a little context into into my being here, uh, as I said, we're a small startup, so we don't have a hundred recruitment under or about as of yet. Uh, we're looking to go there, some way, shape, or form in the future. Uh, but when it comes to, so, uh, me, I, I recruit myself or I went to the board, uh, my board partner saying, Hey, do you want to give me a salary or not? Uh, they were like, well, sure. You're doing a decent job, decent enough job. Uh, so let's continue with that. Uh, then I went to my friend who was also part of starting the project. And I said, Hey, do you want to make some money while keep it on, keep it on? He was uh, very fond of that idea. So, uh, he kind of went along with that and then comes the second part of the recruitment process for this team which was uh bringing on a couple of friends um one of them being um, a long-standing friend from the small town of sweden which i'm from uh, i know he was really into gaming uh and he had helped us with a couple of things along the way uh so i was like well hello you want to make money doing gaming instead of something boring that you're doing today and he was not hard to uh, convince with that then we had uh, the first actual recruitment uh, which was again a bit helped by me knowing the person beforehand but before me working at Ego I was working at a bank uh, with a summer camp for young people teaching entrepreneurship and I met this really cool 16 year old person who was uh, willing to spend his autumn break a full week at a bank, which I think not many 16-year-olds do. Uh, just thinking about myself being a 16-year-old, I know what I did, and I was not at a bank learning about entrepreneurship. So just being there, I th think it was pretty awesome. 
And also what I came to learn about him was that he's really good at taking care of communities and already from a very young age, he's engaged himself within the YouTube space and Discord space, taking care of lots of different uh, channels and catalogs uh, from such a young age. So I kind of approached him through a network of people that I knew to be alumni from the summer camps or autumn camps that I held as, as a banker. Uh, saying, hey, do you guys think this guy would be good for games? And they were like, yes, he's not doing anything else. He's always gaming. He's a student still. He was only 17th at this point. Uh, so I kind of phoned him saying, hey, child labor is still not a thing in Sweden. But whenever you get of age and quit your uh, gymnasium, would you like to work in gaming? Uh, and he was all for that. Uh, so he kind of started helping us without payment uh, to, to start with. I know to be usual within the gaming space, but the the big carrot was that uh, he was jumping on the project as soon as he graduated from the gymnasium. Uh, so that was the way we kind of recruit our first person. Uh, every young person who had kind of shown to me in a very different kind of way that he's not afraid of doing a job that most people won't be doing. So he kind of stood up from that and. Then we did our first actual traditional recruitment, which is Adam, who's the latest into the team. And we went through uh, a firm uh, to help us find candidates. And he's a person from Finland originally. Uh, uh, yep. Uh, so he gave us, uh, he came in and he had already built a replica of our application uh, at the first interview. And that was like, what is this dude? Let's get him. So not speaking too much about inclusion and diversity, because we haven't really thought about that much being so small. That is a wonderful way to find people as well. And when it comes to diversity, we all learn and we all grow. And the most important thing is that you are aware and working on it in the future. And I love hearing that. And then I'm thinking, let's move on to the next person. Let's take the first one to introduce himself. Leon, what do you do when it comes to diversity in recruitment? Firstly, thanks for... It was a great question because whenever I read it, it really caused me to reflect on how we're doing it at Liquid Swords in talent acquisition and how I approach the subject and things like that. So I've written down a couple of points of how we address increasing diversity in the candidate base and making sure ads and recruitment process are inclusive and accessibility friendly as possible. So what I've noted is for us in talent acquisition, I think the first line of defense, so to say, is that we actively source candidates. So to me, it's super important that whenever I present a list of candidates to my stakeholders, whether it's the art director, animation director, etc., the shortlist is as diverse as possible. So that pool of candidates that they get the first pick from, there's already people in there from all types of backgrounds, you know, minority and, and you know, qualified candidates in and of themselves. So that's that's an area where I think talent acquisition, we, we can actually have a lot of inputs and we can really, you know, influence is, is by having diverse shortlists. That's something I've always, you know, tried to do more and more over the years. Um, another element of that is whenever we actually get candidates into the pipeline, we have a an ethos, so to say, of show, don't tell. So it's important for us to have diverse panels. So if it's somebody from a minority background, we do our best to make sure that the people that are interviewing them make over similar walks of life, even so simple as geography. You know, we're an international studio. So I think little things like that really help people to 
get a more homely sense of that sense of belonging. Uh, if it's, for example, if it's uh, if we're interviewing a female candidate, then of course anybody that they're going to be working with that is also female, then for sure we we make sure that they are exposed to each other and that they get a chance to interview. Um, so that's one of the areas as well. And when it comes to the the ads and the recruitment process, making them as, as inclusive and accessibility friendly as possible. The accessibility friendly one was really interesting because I'm hoping to get some really good learnings out of this question because the accessibility one, that's something I, I think we have much to improve at liquid sourcing and games in general. I think we're, we're getting better bit by bit at the uh, inclusivity and diversity for sure. Many ways to go, of course. But um, one of the things that struck me straight away was when it comes to job ads, there's a, a gender decoder. It's quite well known. And we, um, with a studio named Liquid Swords, which is quite masculine worded, uh, sometimes our job ads, you know, we, we refer to the staff here as swords or the armory. Um, so we're aware of that. It is quite masculine. So we do our best to, of course, keep it in there. It's branding. It's part of who we are, but we don't always have to really push that. Push that. So the gender decoder is really good. We run that past our job ads and job descriptions every time we put one out there just to make sure it's more neutral. There's plenty of opportunities to put in more feminine coded words as well. And based on some of the applications we got, I think they do help. Um, so, so that's an area that's, we've, uh, chosen, but again, we have so much more to learn and improve on. And ultimately what I think is a lot of this begins in the grassroots. I think one of the things that the UK games industry does, does very well is that they, they, they actively, uh, encourage people from minority backgrounds and, and girls as well, for example. There's a lot of initiatives where they'll go into schools of girls at even as young as five, six, seven, and make it known that it's possible. There's there's an industry, it's called video games. Sure, you like to play them, but did you know you can also make them? And I know a couple of people in the industry that do that. I'm not 100% sure whether Sweden has the same in Scandinavia. I hope so. There should be more, either if there, even if there is. But um, Very much do, so, which is super, super exciting. Yeah, that's awesome to see, for sure. Nice. That, that, that was my summary of those, yep. Cool. Phoenix. Right. Um, so, I mean, I haven't been working directly with recruit recruitment much at all. It's been, I've been reviewing portfolios, of course, and like looking at applicants. Uh, and for us, I mean, for our studio, we haven't released any games in uh, quite some years now. Uh, and without any games, we don't really have much of a presence anywhere. And uh, so I think for us, it is mainly that we reach out with the, the values that we have in our games and that we have at our studio and that our main way of attracting uh, both like talent in general, but like a wide range of talent is making sure that the games we make have uh, good values <laughs> and that everyone that play them feel like they they can be included and represented. Um, and while like we only make games that we as devs ourselves genuinely enjoy to play, uh, we want of course to for them to be inclusive, uh, that everyone should feel welcome. Um, uh, but but just in general, I think like showing and sharing like the studio climate outside of the actual studio is really hard. Uh, we have a very like good and friendly community that we love, uh, but and that are very sort of like welcoming that we see they've sort of picked up on the the company values, and we have a, a community team that is working like to make sure that that is kept sort of maintained uh, and monitored. But it's also very interesting to see that people are sort of 
just being friendly <laughs> and uh, inviting others uh, to join. Um, but yeah, and, and like, as you mentioned as well, Gabriel, like the, the gaming industry is very heavily male dominated and like, we're no exec exception either. Um, we have though, like a, a large range of like developers from different countries and cultures and ethnicities, uh, but it's still very male dominated, but I, I do think that that has started to change. Uh, and I think like one of the reasons for that, I think is just making games is getting more and more accessible. Uh, like games in general are, as I've seen it, like being less perceived as being sort of in lack of a better word, like ugly culture, like, uh, it's less of something that you go down into the basement to sort of like entertain yourself with. Like it's for me, at least it's been a lot of like, a uh, discussion with older generations who don't understand games or they dislike them and they think it's a, it's a waste of time, but games are sort of going into like the more sort of mainstream arena. And I think that also just shows that like more and more people are getting their eyes open to it. So hopefully like, that's not something of course that we can take credit for, but it's very nice to see that that's the direction that it's going. Um, and yeah, we can see that in our applications as well. Like people from a wider background or, or applying. Yeah. Nice. Let's pop in here quickly. Cause I think it's a very important topic that you bring up to Gabriel's question. Uh, I mean, the, the diversity of the main character in the games has yeah. always been boys, uh, or for the larger part, it's been boys. And I think that, uh, has been, has some part in this question as well. More games, uh, actually starring, uh, people of different genders and backgrounds, uh, yeah. making the recruitment process and the applicants actually being able to connect with the star of a game in a different way and wanting to create such experiences is really important for the recruitment process within gaming. Um, yeah. and, and just a very, very short thing about that, uh, is we're creating a consumer platform, obviously. So we're not creating a game actually, uh, but we're within the gaming space. Um, and one thing that we ran into on this specific topic was just recently actually where we had one of the brilliant guys in, in my team, we, cause we had created a bundle of avatar profile avatars on this specific topic. And they brought up that, Hey, there's not that much diversity in the pool of avatars. So we kind of recently learned that we're, uh, that there is some kind of bias within us all, I think. And. That was a super good point for them to bring up. So we were able to, before launching those, actually make a profile selection that was more accessible to more people. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And it's like when making games and taking inspiration from say older movies or other games or uh, whatever it may be, like representation has been bad historically. So it's definitely something that you have to sort of keep in mind and check yourself because it's easily to, you can easily just go into that without like making a conscious decision. You sort of just do it. So it's definitely something that you have to make sure to get more people's perspective on them. Make sure that the rep end product has good representation on everyone. can Absolutely. That is something that is so important to be able to bring in the games to make uh, the presentation and the representation more inclusive. And since we're talking about that as well, I'm thinking I'm going to segue into my answer since it is related to that. Um, so one of the things that is very important to me is that when a lot of people think about diversity, they generally think, oh, sexuality and ethnicity, but it is so much more than that. 
for example, is disabilities, religion, age, nationality, and so much more. And so important that we work in every single aspect within this field. So one of the things we do at Kind of Brave is that as much as possible, we utilize anonymous recruitment, and that is to limit any type of implicit and explicit biases for not only for uh, me, but for other people that are recruiting as well. Because even if we think we're all free from biases, we're all human and we're not. So it's important that we find them and that we actively work with them. So this anonymous recruitment means that when a person uh, uh, applies for a position, we can't see their name, age or picture and if they're written their pronouns we can't see them either they're completely anonymized by the program and they are given a random name for example purple dolphin so which makes it a little bit fun where we're like oh what did you think of purple dolphin oh yes they were interesting but aquamarine panda that's the one <laughs> so it's not until we go into a first interview where we actually get to see okay what do they look like what's their name and where are they from and what's their age for example so we're trying to actively do that to limit, as I said, implicit and explicit biases. And then also what we do is that in our hands, we make sure to analyze the language that we use. Because sometimes the one might use, you assume mentioned Leon, might be, for example, uh, normatively male coded. So we try to make sure to use as many terms as possible that is more normative, gender neutrally coded. But also, for example, oh, maybe we want to use this English word. Yes, but someone that applies their mother tongue might not be English. So is there a more accessible and easier term we can use? Maybe it's the spelling we've had. Is it a more spe a common spelling that we can use, for example? Maybe the more American spelling is more common that, than the British one, for example. So we try to work with that as much as possible and make sure to work with organizations that have interpretive precedents, such as Donna that we work with, which is a Swedish organization that specializes in getting people that are women, non-binary, and identify with other transgender identities into the gaming industry. So we try to work in a whole different amount of ways to make sure that everyone can come into games and showcase that you are welcome and games are for you and everyone can work with games if they want to. Nice. Thanks for that. That was lovely. Um, let's move on to Victor's question. Alrighty. So, uh, I was wondering what channels and what type of content do you guys engage in to attract talent? And uh, so, uh, given some substance to this question, it's mainly on the probably more the the, the content side. Uh, and being so new to this, having not recruited too many people in, in a traditional way. Uh, I, I'm hoping to learn lots from you guys, uh, but but also uh, I might bring some value to someone listening. Uh, and context being so, um, our only experience is through one of the uh, main sort of recruitment firms uh, here in Sweden. Uh, and I'd love to understand whether there is other alternatives out there if you want to do it more on your own. Uh, using YouTube to, you know, whatever, TikTok, I don't know. Uh, how have you guys done that in, in what channels and what content have you then used? And I'd love to start with Felix this time. Uh, you know, it's, um, again, for me, it comes back to the, uh, like, it's very much tied to the, to our projects. Uh, and my experience is that as soon as we announce something, like it can be like a, a teaser picture of what we're working on, or it can be a trailer or uh, a game, preferably. Uh, and we, we get a peek in how many applicants that we get in. Um, 
So it is really difficult for us to attract talent with an announced project as we're currently working on, uh, which is like we get help from others. Uh, Evolution Games, <laughs> for example, uh, to find people for us. So we have we uh, have uh, recruiters that are helping us out. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say it is similar to like a, a student is applying with a portfolio. Our games, that's our portfolio. Like we need to attract people of the the right talent and uh, uh, like a diverse enough background. Like it, all of that comes down to the projects that we're making. So uh, it is kind of a specific situation for us now uh, when when we haven't announced anything in so many years. Um, but yeah, like. Um, content yeah like we, we usually go when it comes to art like art station linkedin back in the day we were, we were like looking at public accounts like anywhere where there is like a, a community that is active uh we poke around and it's very often that we get like uh um tips from people working within the studio that they've seen someone with a good portfolio or they know someone that knows someone like currently we're sort of in that that arena uh, word of mouth, kind of. You. Uh, next one being Leon. Yeah, it's a good question. We have a social strategy director now who actually did a little bit of market research on this exact topic a couple of months ago. And what we found was Twitter uh, is a great engagement platform. However, usually brands and studios that already have a game that's either announced or released, at least one, tends to perform better on Twitter because Twitter seems to be a little bit more... Uh, player or end user driven so to say uh we take a lot of inspiration from some twitter handles like insomniac games are super engaged with their audience they're constantly you know posting memes over ratchet and clank and uh, the marvel spider-man series and things so there there it was they're like almost the pinnacle when it comes to using twitter as a, as a game studio there's many examples but that's just one um so that's one of the channels that we have an eye on i mean the liquid stores we have a twitter handle and our social guy is fantastic at strategizing how we engage with our users and our tone of voice. He's, you know, uh, spread a document internally about that. So everybody's on the same page. So these things really help. But I would say our bread and butter is probably LinkedIn just because we don't have a game that's announced right now. Um, so our first, for context, our first employee was hired back in August 2021. So um, the second or third of the same day, I believe. And at that time, uh, our LinkedIn was very small and even in 2022 alone, I think it's tripled. So now we're almost 3000 followers. Um, so it's not huge, but of course, uh, the sky's the limit. But um, so yeah, LinkedIn, we, we post a, a bunch of content pretty regularly on LinkedIn. And whenever we have the chance to share like big news, for example, our investment with NetEase, recently we noticed a significant spike in our followers. Sort of we anticipated that a little bit. But we also capitalized on it in terms of generating content. Um, and not always content just for the sake of content. Our social guys uh, drill that into us very often. So it's, you know, creating engaging content that has value and, and all those things. So um, so LinkedIn, I think, is one of the main channels where we engage and attract talents through branding. That's pr predominantly through branding. But there's also things like um, events. Uh, we, jump, we jump on trends, identify and jump on trends as well, you know in the games industry and uh stockholm thankfully has a fantastic games community so we do our best to even be present at those and something as simple as having your liquid swords hoodie on it gets people to come over and talk to you and you know uh even if they're an intern for example that's the future of the industry right there so yeah we 
there's many different channels we're open to trying all all types of things out and instagram we may have an eye on that in the future probably was the game is is shipped and things but um yeah anytime we have some concept art to show or a trailer for sure we we we, we use that and send it to the relevant channels and it's all aimed at attracting talents bringing in talents and getting people to know us really i love that thank you liana we'll probably be writing back a bit to that and gabriel if you would be kind to share your insights Yes, thank you all so much for fantastic answers there. And when it comes to how we work uh, with finding applicants, for example, is that it's very important for us and for everyone to remember that an interview process and application process is not only from the employer's part, but also from the applicant's part and it feels good for everyone. So just as Felix mentioned, we got get a lot of internal tips from people that worked at different studios or friends that we know, which is absolutely wonderful, but we also utilize other tools. So for example, we use LinkedIn that a lot of people do, but since we have such a huge focus on trying to find more minorities to get into the industry as well, we try to actively utilize pages and social media where more minorities are active. And one of these are Twitter. For example, we put out a community manager post not too long ago, and we received over 55,000 impressions, over 67 applications, and over 80% of all of these individuals identified openly in their cover letter as a minority. And that was absolutely wonderful to see as so many people coming and feeling comfortable to express who they are and actively write for example i'm a bipoc transgender woman uh, that has adhd and autism and just to see that as the first first part of the cover letter that meant that we've done something completely completely right we also utilized other tools such as there is a recruitment gaming homepage called symbol uh, that is a little bit like a candidate base thereabouts uh, so we utilize that tool and other social media soon as well and to spread our content things that we already have from our games and also our branding as well and we try to diversify where we find people and soon enough we're going to have a community manager joining us as well and then we're going to be able to use more types of content from our games uh, from our branding and use it on more different pages to be able to find our future stars. And I'm so excited to get that going very, very soon. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, great answers and uh, obvious stuff that we'll be touching on uh, in different ways very, very soon. We're still very, very early on in our journey when it comes to this. And I, I just briefly want to touch on Liam things you're mentioning within, uh, you know, communities and such, uh, have you guys at all been using discord or this is an open question to any of you, uh, you guys been using discord first and foremost to build communities around your games yourselves. And Gabriel kind of answered that question already, not having the social media manager on site yet. Um, but, uh, <laughs> um, it, so, so that's actually something we're doing, uh, a lot trying to engage our users and uh the, the star users on our platform they're doing so much work for us uh in creating a great experience for other community members it comes to that so that's always something a list of candidates that we're always looking at whenever we're gonna expand our own team because uh, then we always have some sort of list of and um what they're capable of and what they like doing and uh, stuff like that before we actually and bring them into interview or actually meet it. So any ones of you using Discord or activating communities in that type of way? We utilize Discord yeah. some, 
Um, but it's also another part we use is Twitch, for example. A lot of artists are there working on different types of branding, working on emotes. So since I'm a streamer myself, we also utilize the, uh, the streaming teams I'm in, for example, like Rage Club, where we actively find people there as well. So not only our Discord, but other Discord communities as well. Liquid Swords, we don't actually use Discord yet, but it's very much on the horizon just before we, you know, go live with the, the game. We're definitely going to spin up a Discord. The social media guy already plans to have a community manager there as well. So it's, it's great that kind of Brave and other people recognize that and have community managers. Quick story, though. Uh, one of the studios that I used to work with Avalanche Studios, we had a community manager position and we they already have a Discord community. And uh, a couple of candidates came through the selection process through that exact Discord. So, uh, and actually the person that ended up being hired was already a person in the Discord, a moderator, known, uh, you know, he was a YouTube and a Twitch streamer. So that was the first time that I'd had a, a candidate come from Discord as a platform, so to say, and, you know, already a massive fan of the, the game in the studio came from Discord. So it was, uh, that was a really nice hire to make as well. So Discord guys, top tip. Thank you. All right, nice. Uh, let's move on to Felix and your question. What? Uh, so, uh, my question is how to maintain like a studio or game culture during like quick studio growth. Um, so a little bit of background to this question. When I started at Arrowhead, we were about 30 people and now we are around a hundred. Uh, so, and this question is a bit more from the, like the studio perspective rather than the, the actual applicants. So for when the hiring has actually already happened. Um, so as I said, we've grown quite a bit, uh, over the years, uh, and it's definitely been a, a journey to try to keep that sort of more family vibe that we had back in the day, like everyone knew everyone uh, and, uh, we hung out together a lot, uh, and the bigger we grew, the more kind of like groupings we, we saw started happening, which is natural. Like I think like when you get over, is it 30 or 40 people, you start to see those sort of like groups become more prominent. Um. But now also with the whole working from home uh, after the pandemic, that has also very much influenced recruitment in general and just people wanting to work, at least having the option to work from home, but some app, like applicants, they want to like work from home the whole time, which we are generally fine with, but we have also seen that that has taken a toll on just maintaining culture or making sure that people do feel included. Uh, and yeah, it would be interesting to hear how you guys have been airing with that uh leon you guys mentioned you were also about 100 or so uh would be interesting to hear your perspective yeah correct we're, our goal is to get to 100 right now we're about 60 so we're on our way but i thought this was also a fantastic question it really made me reflect and actually think about it so and uh, the first thing i thought was actually it would be really great for some studios to really identify their their culture and their values so actually put them on paper that's the first step but then of course to live them and breathe them is a completely uh, other thing as well so I could speak for Liquid Swords. Our culture is is very much the tagline is it's raw, purposeful, simple developments, um, and we we sort of hark back to the golden era of game developments when it was that simple. It was fun at its essence, um, but how do we actually maintain that is also a really good question. And I think number, yeah, as a studio grows, of course, naturally people are going to become a, a little bit more compartmentalized. So to prevent that, we already know that's why we're going to grow to a hundred to maintain that vision that everybody pulls in the same direction of. But um, it got me thinking, I think consistency is uh, really a key thing to maintain in game culture. So here we have show and tells every Monday. At the end of a sprint, we'll have like uh, a larger 
studio-wide show and sell where people can get up and, and show what they've, you know, done in the game and whether it's design, arts, um, sometimes even talent attraction will will get up there and you know talk about an upcoming recruitment training that we have quarterly just to continuously drill those things. But I think one of the main things to answer the question for Liquid Source is that um, we don't say it's right or wrong, but we were built on the foundation of people working uh, at the studio. So we we really find no substitute for working physically in person with each other because we find you get so much more out of turning your chair around and talking to the artist, the animator, the designer. That's sort of in-person collaboration. We we feel like that's our edge. We know it's not for everybody, of course. Um, so that's how we maintain the culture through the process. We really make that clear. That's who we are. That's what we that's what we stand for. And then by the end of the process, candidates get it, or they don't, of course. But they're bought in by the time they get here, and you know the expectations are set. So I think we constantly have to um, remind ourselves of those things. And yeah, that's really that's really interesting, Victor. How about you? Wow, uh, we're just five people. We're right in that garage sofa where we started. <laughs> yeah, we'll stay in this sofa and the cozy space of our uh, friendship for quite some time. More. So I won't dwell on this because I can't teach anyone anything in this. Uh, it's just we play a lot of ping pong. We play some chess during lunch breaks, and I just recently got into Magic: The Gathering arena so we have some gaming contests uh going on during the weekdays to keep it fun uh and remember our calling and where we came from all of us so can i just can i just ask as a bonus question then because you are you guys are a startup and and there's less people is it something that i don't know concerns you or something that you bear in mind like when you look to scale up and to grow well, well sure i mean I think Leon is on something, and you mentioned it as well. Felix has context to this question that working remote or not is is a very hot topic. I think for everyone right now, uh, and for us, it's really important that the core is that you're working from here. But then, obviously, we have the option of working from home. I mean, uh, you could have whatever going on in your life, so so that's always an option. But being the the, the main position is that you will go into work. Uh, I think that's important because that's where we do all the fun stuff as well. I mean, you can't play ping pong remotely. Uh, well, you can if you if you do the online version, uh, which is now 40 years or 50, 60 years old. But uh, playing the one that's on a table becomes harder whenever you're at home. Uh, so all these type of things where, I mean, we're working odd hours, working long days, being a startup. We never know really when we're getting home. So having fun together is a super duper important thing for us. Um, and being on on site makes that easier. Um, and recruiting people that might not fit into that work-life balance or that type of job is really hard on us. So bringing in someone that might affect that the structure we have or the, might affect it negatively that is really an issue for us so that's when whenever we're bringing in a person we're bringing in someone that will fit in the group rather than do the work because doing the work we can probably teach them uh but joining us as a family member is harder to teach so they kind of need to buy into whatever odd family they're buying into but joining us rather than being an expert in the field that we're uh, employed for so that's probably the other way around for you guys more so because uh, you look at the the talent and the the actual output that they can 
perform. Whereas here, how good are you at ping pong becomes a more important question for us in the interview than how good are you at C++ or whatever. Uh, so that's us. Yes. So this is certainly an area that is super, super interesting. And I've been thinking about it a little bit. And for us, we have about three to four areas that we actively work within to make sure that we keep our culture as a publisher and our studios. So our motto is people, players, planet, and we actively work within that field because to us, it's not just buzzwords. We want to showcase that that is something that is an integral part of our, uh, our us as a publisher and also our studios as well. So to make sure that that is something that is a part that everyone breathes, we have set specific frameworks of what uh, this means to us. We have defined what does diversity mean, what does inclusion mean, what does accessibility mean, and more to make sure that everyone are aware, okay, what are our values and what do we actively work with here? We also make sure that some, oh, oh, yes, we also make sure uh, that everyone feel welcome uh, at the office to make sure that it then becomes as accessibility friendly as possible. For example, the colors that we use, make sure that they do not provide too many impressions, for example, for people who are neurodivergent. We also, uh, our studios, we work in a remote hybrid version. Some studios work more remotely, some work completely on site. Uh, and in our office, they all have their own separate areas that they can decorate how they wish. But then we also have the common areas as well, such as a lunchroom and also a place where people can sit down, relax, play games with each other and just have a chat. And of course, everyone usually meets up at the coffee machine as well. And we just got in a super expensive one and it's so pretty. Uh, so it's going to be fun to see what people think of the coffee there. Uh, but also an integral part of maintaining this culture is that we have an office manager. And our office manager doesn't only take care of the physical space to make sure it is welcoming for everyone, but our online space as well. So when we have physical events, we make sure to, for example, set up cameras or set up a PC where you have a Discord call for everyone that are on distance, that people can actively engage with each other. And then we have, for example, a Halloween party not too long ago. And then we had a pumpkin carving contests. But to make sure that everyone that was a distance could partake as well, we set up a camera and the mic so they could sit there and share. And they got to be a part of the judging as well. And throughout the night, we also had uh, you could play games. So what we did is that we bought Steam keys. We created multiple Steam accounts that then people could use. So we could all play, for example, Phasmophobia together. And we had it streamed so everyone that wanted to sit and listen could hear. And everyone that were playing distant could then play with me. Our CEO joined and he was incredibly scared, <laughs> which was super fun. So we make sure to take care of the online space just as much as we take care of the physical space and make sure that we are clear of our values and that it is a part of everything that we do to showcase that it's not just buzzwords and it's something that we truly care about. Great. Yeah, I think, like, so the difficulty with it, this, I think, also has to do with the, the industry in general and this generation, I guess, where it's quite common for people to jump between jobs and companies. So even if you grow rapidly, it might be people that are coming either from as students or from other companies being used with something completely different. Uh, and I found that it's, um, it's very important with like documentation, which is coming from, a, uh, being a small studio that is really hard and because you can sort of rely on, especially when we were all working at the same place, uh, things were just sort of happening by 
by themselves. You were just sitting next to each other talking, that type of conversation next to the coffee machine, or like it was just by osmosis sort of. Uh, but now when you don't have that, people are working from home and people are jumping between different companies. It's, yeah, it's, it's much more important to have like a very clear structure. So, uh, for any new employee, we're presenting like the, the studio culture and like the, the values, uh, by our HR. Um, and, uh, we have like, we have studio meetings for the whole company and we also always try to encourage, uh, to have everyone to have their camera on. Uh, we're working on, uh, we're usually on Discord almost all the time, having cameras on to just sort of like shorten that gap between people that are working in the office and uh, from home, which isn't, it's not a hundred percent to be honest. It's, it's better than not having it, but it's not entirely there. Uh, but we generally try to make sure that we have like a, the distance, if you will, between the, the founders and directors and, and leads and whatnot and new employees or all employees really should be as short as possible. So we try to make sure that everyone feels invited to come with feedback uh, and to take part in the actual development of the game. So it, it's not that it shouldn't feel like it's coming from top, uh, like top decisions being made all the time. Uh, and it's quite often like we have a, a specific channel on Slack, for example, dedicated to just like uh, gathering feedback about the game. And it's very much of a should feel like a conversation, but it's still getting that sort of, uh, I, and I don't have a good answer to this, <laughs> but getting that, uh, sort of the uh, family vibe, uh, it might be that it's just not possible. Like after growing after a certain extent, like the maintaining that, like it comes with pros and cons. And I'm sure that I'm romanticizing being a smaller team, uh, not remembering everything that was bad with that, but it's. It definitely does feel like it's getting more and more sort of corporate and stiff and more rigid. Uh, so it's uh, it's an ongoing thing for us, I think, that we're still working on. Um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I just as you mentioned there, like as you grow, that it can become more rigid and become more corporate in, in a way. And that's me thinking personally, that is also sadly a way that organizations and organizational culture develops. It is going yeah. to become differently. There are going to become different areas, just as you mentioned. And I think that a great way of trying to maintain that culture is accepting that there are going to become different groups. There are going to become different consolidation. And within those groups, there are as well going to be different be uh, behavior or cultures, for example. But try to align those with the organizational culture to really keep those values alive and create events that engage everyone. And now being a hundred people, that might be very difficult, but maybe one can have workshops every now and again, where you have all artists there, or sometimes it's all programmers. Maybe sometimes if half artists, half programmers, would they have a specific subject to discuss that time, for example? So try to intermingle those groups together and expose them to each other and their own organizational and behavior cultures. So you then can create not only the in-groups, but create macro groups as well that can then uh, uh, remain a part of the big organization as well. I think those uh, are some of my lecture tips <laughs> within the field. <laughs> That's great. And, but it definitely makes it into like a decision whether you want to grow as a studio or not, because it, it will have an impact on the culture, uh, the bigger you get. So it, it, it's definitely part of that. I don't think like you can do some things to mitigate it, but I th do think that like, it's going to change no matter what you do. Yeah. 
you can try your absolute best to try to try and keep that culture alive. And just as you say, you don't necessarily have to grow. Yes, numbers and bigger numbers might seem amazing, but you also have yeah. to take a look at it and see, is this beneficial to us? Is this where we want to go? And sometimes say, no, I think we're happy being 100 employees and here's where we're going to stay for a while. Nice. And then last, definitely not least, Leon, that's your question. Yes, my question is, uh... Thanks, Mel. It's how would you advise candidates in today's market? And it's a double borrow question because equally, how would you advise clients in today's market to secure candidates? And the context behind this question is really, I think um, all too often we see interviews and the processes as being more candidate focused uh, and you know, remember Newton's third law of talent acquisition. For uh, each and every candidate interview, there's an opposite and equal interviewer. So I thought it would be really good to consider the fact that it's, yeah, sure, it's a candidate that's having an interview, but also the other side of that coin is the interviewer. It's the company, it's the studio. Those things happen in parallel with each other. So that was the context. I thought it'd be really interesting to, you know, understand some of the challenges from a candidate's point of view, but then uh, the, the the stakeholder, the hiring manager's point of view or the studio themselves uh and i'm interested in everybody's answer but gabriel if you could kick things off yes uh, thank you so much a great question once again and we've already just touched on this a little bit in the previous answers too um but uh, if i'm going to look from an hr perspective for example when it comes to advising clients is to really take a look at the profile you put up for what you're looking for. So for example, in Sweden, we make something called en krav profil, which is like, oh, this is what the person needs to have to be a part of this job. And to really look at this and be like, okay, the mandatory things you've written, are they truly mandatory? Like if it's not, like let's say you get an application and they don't have one of these mandatory things, Will you deny them because they don't have it? If you won't, it's not truly mandatory, is it? It's highly desirable. So mandatory should then be, if they do not have it, it doesn't matter who they are. We need this integral part for the role. So to really analyze that, what have we written as mandatory? What is highly reliable? And what are bonuses? To try and make it as inclusive as possible and be more open-minded. If you want more diversity, you cannot just hire men and say, why are there no female programmers? You need to be ready to make it take in more junior people and be prepared of that if you want to see more of the diversity. So I'd say, take a step back, analyze and see, have you written a profile that fits a specific type of person? Like, oh, I'm reading it and I envision a man in front of me. Okay, then maybe let's revise that again and revise the language and also see, okay, is this truly mandatory that we've said that the person must have and try and make it more open and more inclusive? I think that's my biggest tip. Yeah, really good uh, feedback. That's interesting. I'd love to look back to that. Uh, Victor? I am going to take what probably is a quite different approach to this question, uh, given our very limited uh, knowledge about this again. Uh, but something I find to be really, really important and also uh, interesting is how could a brand expose themselves to a, to uh, in 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 the first uh, sentence just become an option to the candidate, right? Because if the candidate doesn't know you exist, then they probably won't be a candidate to you. Um, so uh, that is 
the from the angle I look at it and my experience from that being at a bank for way too long. Uh, my last three years at that bank was to expose that bank to esports or gaming as a genre, not necessarily to spread the word about the super cool banking we're doing, but knowing that within gaming and esports, there's a lot of developing candidates. Uh, so my perspective was that we're struggling a lot to find candidates for our developing end because we're using COBOL. Every bank in the world is built on COBOL. Nobody wants to work with that. So let's make our brand sexier so that our brand is an alternative at all to be working at. Uh, and some of my bosses found that to be interesting and they kept me working with that for a couple of years, uh, but it didn't amount to much. Uh, but we were at DreamHack and we talked to all these cool people and did some cool stuff. So I'm not I'm not sour or anything, uh, but I, I think that is an important topic as well to talk about. Uh, and it feels to mention you guys not having a game to actually talk about or uh, a recent game to to know showcase uh, that makes that kind of harder for you. Uh, and that will place you if that goes on for too long of a time, then the the, the probability is that people sort of not forget about you, but if you're not top of mind all the time for people, obviously they're not going to find you as the first option uh, when they go looking for a job. So I think that is an important thing. And the way we do that, again, Discord staying relevant within certain social medias where the we think the candidates that would apply to us exist, not using necessarily LinkedIn because the 21, 25 year old people that love gaming, they're not going to be used to LinkedIn. They're going to be on Discord. They're going to be on Twitter. They're going to be on YouTube. So using the channels where the actual candidates are uh, becomes important and spreading your, not necessarily saying all the time that, hey, we are hiring, but showing them that you're relevant, you're still alive, you're doing cool shit. That will, in the long term, make them want to work for you and they'll come to you more probably than if you're not doing that. Um, so that's my angle to the question, not knowing too much about the other stuff when it comes to this question, not having met twenties or hundreds of candidates, not having, you know, uh, been in a position to actually choose too many, uh, of them. Uh, but when it came to us hiring our first candidate, he was super stoked uh, that we were able to show, and this is what we do. And he actually read about us in a channel where he uh, exists rather than uh, through, you know, a LinkedIn ad or anything like that. Cool. Enix. All right. So for people that are applying for a job, like the number one thing is just portfolio. I, so far, I've never read a cover letter before checking the portfolio, uh, which is Unfortunately, that's because of like time constraints being in the development and getting many applicants. Uh, and it's not because of the anonymous recruitment, which sounds really good. The, the thing that you brought up earlier, Gabriel, uh, but it's basically, it's similar. <laughs> I usually, I mean, I, I get to see the name, but I never look what school they went to or what they had like as previous jobs, which is, I think it's good, uh, because like in this industry, it doesn't really matter. And. Uh, what background you have. You can be self-taught or you can be to gone to like a very fancy university. Like in the end, at least for art, the only thing that matters is your portfolio. Uh, so that's like the, the main, main thing. Second thing is just, uh, and this kind of, 
this one is kind of vague, but it's just like a personality fit. Like when we have an interview with someone, is this person nice? Uh, are they are they friendly? Are they like reasonable? <laughs> it's it's very much like, we, and we're starting to take this more and more seriously as we've grown bigger. That like it's very important to get the right people, even if they do have the skill. It doesn't matter if the person is not friendly or not easy to work with. So it's it's a really big big thing. Uh, and then the third one is that. And however annoying it might sound, uh, just contact, uh, having, being friendly uh, to others, getting to know others. Uh, like for me, I did that through school. Uh, that was like the start of my network and having students that you, or colleagues, former colleagues, former students, whatever it might be, that can refer to you and like vouch for you. Like this is a good person would take you so long. Uh, in getting new jobs or if you want something else or even you for, for me it was the first job that I got uh, which is also I think that the third point is getting it just it gets more and more important the longer you are in the industry um, because people if you're being a bad if you're being a douchebag <laughs> that will uh, people will know about it and it's going to be tricky for you and uh, yeah it's it's just uh, you have to be nice and <laughs> um, it's uh, it's really important. So if you're in school, for example, be friendly, be helpful. Uh, if you're on any of the communities, for example, if you're posting your art on ArtStation, it's a really good community. So you can like give feedback to others and others will do the same. So it's it's good to sort of engage and go out of your sort of comfort zone. Being a student, especially very much centered around yourself, you're focusing on your things and uh, making sure you can become the best you can be uh but it's well, when you actually do work it's so much more about just being around others so it's it's a skill that you can hone yeah those are all fantastic answers felix yeah for sure uh the portfolio before the cover letter i see you know my artists and art directors they do exactly the same so i think that's a good point so pour more of the effort into the portfolio because it actually counts for so much more than a cover letter especially in art right uh Victor, I thought it was really interesting perspective from the startup point of view that you have to first and foremost become known to be an option in the first place. Like, yeah, that's like, yeah, a really good insight. And then Gabriel, the um, I, I probably admit that I'm sometimes guilty of this when it comes to the dream candidate in my mind, whether it's a programmer or an artist, I probably do have a picture of who they are. Um, and if I do it, the hiring managers for sure do it because in recruitment we constantly try to you know understand the conscious bias that we can't rule it out so we have to work with it a little bit like you mentioned earlier in the podcast so i think it's good to remind them to step back and maybe to chunk it down into you know the, the mandatory and the nice to haves and challenge them a little bit just to widen the pool but um the way that i thought about this question is when it comes to candidates i really honestly think it's a numbers game and also it's quality over quantity. So those things sound like they're at odds with each other, but way too often I see candidates who will just, it's clear that we're one application out of 20 or 50 because the cover letter could be, oh, I really want to join kind of brave or arrowhead. And it's like, you know, they've just not, they've not done their homework a little bit. Um, that's kind of going to approach it really. It's kind of obvious actually. Um, but they're going to get a lot of no's, I get it. So sometimes I like to advise candidates, like really understand why are you applying in the first place? You know, uh, chunk it down into why are you the why are you the right person for the job? Why do you deserve to get an interview? It's it, That's a really good place to start. Um, you know, you have to understand why does the studio, why, why should they hire you? 
because ultimately the studio has a problem that they're looking to fix. So they want to interview you. They want you to be that person that they want to hire at the end of the day. So you really, sometimes through the interview process, you can do a bit of investigation, a little bit of sleuthing and, you know, to understand detective work wise. But ultimately that's why they're making this hire. They have a problem and they want to hire somebody to fix the problem. Of course, it's bonus if you're easy to work with, you're a great team member, all those things. Of course, that's what they want as well. But, um, that's probably the main thing I would advise candidates, and there's so many. There's, you could probably do podcasts on each of these questions, to be honest. But um, and then for for clients, yeah, sometimes I approach it from the mindset point of view. Like interviewing, to me, it's a privilege. So try to treat every single interview equally. We all have bad days. We we wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but do your best to not bring that into the interview. Just approach it with a a good mindset and give each candidate a fair chance. So yeah, it's um. It's in talent acquisition. It's easy to do that because we, you know, do it so often. But um, for hiring managers, I think it takes that little bit of extra reminding. So that was my sort of approach at those. I completely understand you there, and just as you say, it's so important to be able to take a step back and look right. Uh, and just when it comes to this subject, just a tip I want to leave everyone with that might be applying for jobs is that believe in yourself. And especially when it comes to minorities, for example, they might read an ad and they're like, oh, I don't fulfill that specific word. I'm not superb at this. And because of that, I won't apply because a lot of people downvalue themselves. So believe in yourself, apply. And the absolute worst thing that can happen is that you get a no. And then you've got an experience writing a resume. You've got an experience maybe being at an interview. And that's amazing. And then it's also the studios, they also get to see, okay, these are the people out there and maybe we can save this person for the future. So truly believe in yourself and apply because you are going to find that dream job and you are worth it. So believe in yourself. That was so lovely. All right. So uh, before we end the podcast, I'd like to say thanks to all of our guests uh, for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. Uh, so once again, uh, we've had Felix at Arrowhead, uh, Leon at Liquid Swords, Gabriel at Kinda Brave, and Victor at Ego App. If you are hiring for new gaming roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I'm Melanie, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at melanie.lindsay at evolution-nordics.com. Or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. And we hope you can join us next time.